Chapter 8. Making Plans Sarah loved the castle, its people, and oddlings. Although the castle had been her home since Isidora married King Alexander, when she was just a teenager, she always maintained a love for the countryside. She hoped her trip to the countryside to see Nicholas would be restful, insightful, and productive. As she approached the hills of the Clausus farm, she longed to feel the promise of that. Lady Sarah and her entourage traveled many miles and for many days. While protected, four men of the Royal Equestrian Guard escorted her and Wallace's coach. From his high vantage, the coachman saw they were approaching a barricade. He gave a signal to stop, and the large wheels of the carriage slowed as the brakeman pulled back on the stick. The coachman tugged back on the reins. The two horses slowed their stride as the carriage drew closer to the hill, leading down to the farm. The carriage stopped. Whinnying, the horse's restless gait settled into a stance as they paused on the muddy path. Napping, the royal occupants felt the coach gently lurch to a stop. Curled at Sarah's feet, Bose lifted his head. Lady Sarah, facing forward in the carriage, quickly gained her wits. She heard muted conversations outside the carriage between someone and her driver. Curious and unsettled when the carriage stopped, she relaxed the book, tilting against her bosom. It slid into the lap of her dress as the carriage came to a rest. What is it? murmured Lady Sarah, lifting from her seat. Her view from the side of the coach limited her view of their heading. Wallace rubbed the back of his neck to soothe Bo's fretfulness. There seems to be some sort of construction, milady, said the coachman, high upon the bench, above and forward of the door. Lifting the window glass, she observed as best as she could from the small square opening. Prince Wallace sat facing her. He observed her curious eyes as she stretched her neck to see the window. I cannot see what's happening, she said. Her face frowned. She clasped her hands together, glimpsing curiously from the window. She could only hear the soft conversation. From his bench atop the coach, the driver watched the party of workers continue erecting a long barrier across the access road leading to the farm. A tan, scruffy, shirtless man toddled up to the square window and peered at Lady Sarah. Somewhat disquieted by his stares, she nodded with a faint, uncomfortable smile. Upon the rotund man's chin, he wore a crisp beard down to his tan, sweaty chest. His head was a melon round. Sarah tacitly glimpsed down and again into his brown eyes and furrowed face. Presenting a toothsome smile, he would not turn his eyes away. Wallace was about to lean forward and shoo him on, when he heard the man softly speak. Lady, it's you, the man said excitedly. I'm the roadman. Pardon me, lady. I've never seen a royal before, he said, quickly glimpsing, as he quickly clasped and snatched the sea's hat from around his bald head. 
we heard rumors of uh, your coming here. Uh, we didn't believe it, he said nervously, his eyes darting to his team setting the roadblock. There was a rock slide, and we're closing the road, my lady. Lady Sarah nodded. When shall we pass? I'm afraid not soon enough, my lady. Who are you? My name's Fletcher, my lady. They call me Fletch. When will you open the road, Fletch? Uh, not until morning, Fletch shrugged. Are there other roads? Yes, your highness, but all the roads are on the farmlands downhill. The rain's been heavy in spots, my ladies, uh, more so here. The eyes of the coachman searched the sky for rain. He saw the road ahead blocked. Shaking his head, Fletch continued shifting his weight from one foot to the other. It's true, milady, said the driver. I've searched. I've seen the rain on the horizons in the valley. The road will be hazardous. Perhaps milady will return another time, said Fletch. No, I desire to go to the farm. Glancing outside, Sarah saw a fork in the road before her, and the coach stood. I've come too far, she said. The road she saw led to the wooded downhill crate, and I so want to get to the farm another way. Over that way, perhaps? said Sarah, glimpsing Wallace, slouched back on his seat. He nonchalantly lifted his fingers from his lap and raised his eyebrows. He was inclined to cede to her wishes. Wallace leaned toward her. Perhaps it would be wise to turn back and... If you are afraid, brother-in-law, she cut in, I shall hold your hand and tell you a nursery rhyme. Wallace's eyes widen and they hastily sat back on the coach sofa, muttering, If only my men were as brave as you, Lady Sarah, my kingdom would be in less jeopardy and twice the size. Welcome to Conversations with the Authors. Thank you, dear listeners, for pressing the play button. Uh, my name is Daniel. I'm Daryl. I'm Sandra. And I'd like to thank Alexander Nakarada for a wonderful intro uh, for our podcast. And uh, what you just heard is an excerpt from Daryl and Sandra's highly rated Eric Hoffer nominated sci-fi fantasy novel How Nicholas Became Santa Claus. Daryl, Sandra, I think this scene is, um, I call it a scene because in my head it plays out like a movie. Um, uh, I think this is important because, uh, you know, when we were, uh, as adults raising children, you, you learn that sometimes whispering is, uh, more, uh, important than yelling at a child. Uh, for discipline purposes. And that sort of sense follows through in that, uh, as we were saying before we uh, started recording, that uh, not everything has to be explosions, that details and important things about characters can be shown in, in subtle things um, and subtle sequences. And so, Daryl, this is about crafting in the quiet times. Um, so, uh, listening to this, do you now, do you recall what it was like writing this particular uh, sequence? Well, yeah, I do. And uh, I, during that time, I had to quiet my mind down. Mm-hmm. And I had to uh, limit my tendency to to want to make things explode. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you think about life, and that's a necessary thing when you're writing, you have to think 
you have to rem- recall that the life is subtle. Mm-hmm. Life is not all explosions, and 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 most of the time, people are pretty quiet around one another. They right. talk. They t- they're talking at a normal pace. They're talking at a normal volume. And yet, uh, yeah, they communicate things that they need, things they require, things they like to do, in subtle ways. Um, it re- it reminds me of uh, the, the the change in acting style. Uh, you know, as as movies progress, for instance, mm-hmm. people used to get very dramatic over very small things. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, in the in the movies, you know. Why this is a great day? We should go out and we should walk. But that sound that doesn't sound real. Right, it's not right. the way we talk. I'd say, well, you know, this is a great day. You know, and Sandy, we talked. To, we should go out and walk. Right, uh, right. and we <laughs> talked uh, in a previous podcast. We talked uh, the episode with the devil is in the details, uh, and in this, uh, it, you know, is also kind of true because it's it's now we're sort of seeing one of those moments in the book where you know our characters have you know downtime just like we do in our regular lives but you wrote this interaction with Sarah and Wallace in such a way that we get so many uh, well I feel we get so much information about them um, we get an idea of what Sarah is like that she's can be both sort of intimidated but at the same time uh, strong in, in regards to how she replies to her uh, brother-in-law and how Wallace her brother-in-law seems to uh, have that sort of adverse of that he, he's strong but can sort of she can make him back away a little bit but also you see his kindness in that he's trying to you know calm the dog down Bo is who's barking at this and was that all intentional or was this something that uh, just sort of came about naturally it was a combination of the two but most most mostly intentional mm-hmm and why was it why was it important for you at least in this in this sequence to show these sort of things well I mean, I, were, the, were the observations that I made were they what you were trying to portray for one they were mm-hmm. and I think you're trying to reflect real life mm-hmm. at the time in, in the subtle times the quiet times right? right right we also wanted to show that in the future mm-hmm. in the story there's going to come a time when Sarah's quietness mm-hmm. is not going to be as dominant. Right. That her her loudness is mm-hmm. going to come out and sort of a sneak peek. You know, when right. when you're right. when you're writing a story, uh, one of the rules is that uh, there's a rise and there's a fall in the action. Right, and I think this is one point where there's a fall in the action. Right, and so it it gives uh, uh, not only the characters, but it gives the reader a chance to catch their breath. Right, and uh, and uh, kind of resolve what they read on the on the on the previous pages right. and prepare for what's coming next. Because if there's a lull right. in the action. There is going to be a rise pretty soon. Right. That lets you know, because it's not going to stay low all the time. You know, it's interesting you say uh, a fall in action, because as even though there's a lull in sort of what's happening, you can also tell that something is about to occur. Because in your book, something is always happening. Something is always, there's always some action happening, or just, just... 
stopping to begin new actions mm-hmm. um, that really keeps the readers engaged. I mean, with the, the roadblock and the storm coming in, you've got to wonder, uh, you know, what's 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 coming? What are they coming up against? You know, and it reminds me. And we talked. I mentioned this before. And it reminds me of um, Bethesda, the video game company, uh, when creating their game Skyrim. Uh, they had done the study and they found that uh, gamers will lose their attention after so many seconds. I think it's a minute or so after going from one area to another area. And I think they found the magic number was like 45 seconds or something like that. So they make sure that within their games, within 45 seconds, you're going to see something, hear something, do something, something that's going to pull you back into the story. And in this sequence that you wrote, I feel like that's sort of what's happening. That, you know, we, I, I'll agree with that. You have this transitional point where right. we have Sarah and Wallace traveling to the Clauses farm. And it seems like it's kind of quiet. And before you can go, okay, it's going on a while. Before that happens, you go, oh, there's a roadblock. Oh, there's a storm coming. You know, uh, so you do a really good job of, I think, keeping the momentum moving, even though that it's quiet. It, it kind of reminds me, like, of a tsunami. Mm-hmm. How you know it? It, it, it before it, it impacts you with the heavy action, kind of pulls out a little bit, and it seems kind of quiet, like nothing's going to happen, but stuff's about to hit the fan. Yeah, know? and, and I, I've got another great analogy to that. When you're in the high point of the story, mm-hmm. and action is happening, it's like being in a hurricane. And, but at some point, you're going to get to the eye of the storm, and it's right. going to get quiet. Right. But you know you're going to have to come out the other side, and there's got to be more action. So. A, a lull in a story generally is going to predict that there's going to be a, a, a takeoff uh, very shortly. So, when you are writing this story, when, you, when you're writing any of your amazing stories, uh, do you write, uh, and this is going to sound weird, but do you write as the writer or do you write from the reader? You, know, um, you write from the reader. So do you do you read it and then write it and then read it again? Do you just keep writing and then go back later? Do you like sometimes it happens? Sometimes you have to go back Mm -hmm. because as you as you travel down that path in the story, certain things will happen Mm -hmm. uh, intentionally and other things will happen unintentionally. But you have to account for them. Right. So sometimes you may have to go back to modify the story so it fits the, the future path, the, the thing that's going to happen. Right. Uh-huh. So that, that's, just, that's just a technique. And as uh, co-writers... You know, to close up holes. The, hmm? As co-writers, we had the benefit of passing it back and forth to each other mm-hmm. so we could catch those little things. And, and how... For our new listeners and readers, and for our listeners who want to be writers, and perhaps those veteran writers we have listening, uh, how is it that you um, determine when it's time to stop the lull, when it's time to bring the thunder, so to speak? Um, well, you know, and when I read when I read those passages over again, mm-hmm. uh, in my own mind, I kind of determine whether or not if this is boring or not, if it needs mm-hmm. to pick up. Because uh, I like to keep the pace regular. Right. And uh, sometimes if a passage or a lull gets a little bit too long, I, I talk with Sandra and I say, you know, we might have to drop this or we might have to change this because right. something's got to happen. Right. Uh, I don't like 
to introduce situations. I don't like to introduce people. I don't like to uh, introduce locations without something happening mm-hmm. before that. Right. You know, I, I, w- I want something to bring us to that point, not just that we kind of haphazardly arrive at that point. You know, I think it's interesting because I, I, I think that you you write for all readers because if you you heard my reading of the passage, and I I tend to read it at a you know moderate pace. I suppose sometimes it could be faster. Uh, others read faster than I, and some read slower than I. But the the action within the story, I think, still uh, I, I think it still comes through. Well, you know, no matter what your your pattern of reading is, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's a pattern that uh, that satisfies uh, your taste and how you absorb things. It's almost like a meal. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you can put something in your mouth and you can wolf it down and never really taste the flavor of it. Right. And other times, you put something in your mouth and you savor it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and so yeah. sometimes reading slowly, you can you can suck up all the marrow. Mm-hmm. And really enjoy the story, and and get the feel, taste the meaty parts, and the subtle parts. Did uh, who came up with the idea for the the sort of the visuals for the story for the uh, the farmland and such? And me, you did. Uh, and what what was your inspiration for that? Even though things are quiet, mm-hmm. I readily get bored. Mm-hmm. So I have to have something that is stimulating Mm -hmm. subtly. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you find that your photographer's eye... That's not a contradiction in terms either. Right. That stimulates and subtle. It can be subtle and stimulating too. Yeah. Uh Uh Um, Do you find that your photographer's eye plays a part in your... Um, uh, descriptions and such when you when you do your story. Yeah, because you could go past the same field mm-hmm. a million times, mm-hmm. but there's a shadow or a, a motion or or a glint mm-hmm. that isn't supposed to be there, right. or that you haven't noticed before, and then. You know, Chan. You have I'm, to take a picture of it, right? For for me, uh, especially in, in describing things, I'm a very visual person. Yes. So I think in pictures, right? And everything, everything that I write, I write it from a picture. Yeah. What would I like to see up on a screen? Right. And how would that appear to me? And how should it appear to other people? Mm-hmm. So I write what I see in my mind. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, it, it's pretty easy for me to to get an idea. I just let my mind flow. You know, it's interesting because I would, uh, you know, reading the the passage sort of cold, uh, out of context with with the story for the rest of the readers, you still get a very interesting, you know, like for those who can visualize it, uh, uh, images. You know, I can see the countryside. I can see what the road might look like. I can see what uh, you know our short rotund uh, fletch might look like. You know, so um, and you can hear the horses' hooves. Mm-hmm, you can hear mm-hmm. the wheels, and you can hear the stones, and you can smell the changes in the air. You, you can you can smell the dirt in the air. Yes, <laughs> you know? and the you ever smell fresh dirt. Little pieces mm-hmm. of dampness that. Mm-hmm. Lets you know a storm is coming. 
and you see the light changing. The light is going from bright to dark and dark to bright and subtle. So um, what what advice might you have for our readers who want to be writers who uh, and maybe some of our veteran writers who are trying to learn how to write in these lull states? Anytime you walk out your door, mm-hmm. just look at something and then go in, back in the house, write three pages. Mm-hmm. A three-page description. Mm-hmm. has to be three pages. Okay, and why three pages? Because the first page gives you your orientation. Your second page gives you any action. And your third page is your aesthetics, your uh-huh. sight, sound, smell. That's an interesting method you have there. And Daryl, what about you? What advice might you have for writers who are trying to learn how to uh, write in that lull state? Well, just notice your, your surroundings and your environment, and you'll notice that most things are quiet and subtle. And you emulate that in your writing as well. Mm-hmm. Not everything is, is dramatic uh, and loud and explosive. And depending on the story that you write, it's good. that'll come, that'll happen. But there are the, the quiet stages. You mm-hmm. know, and mo- in most people's lives, there's, there's, there's quiet, it's a date. And then there are these periods uh, of, of, that are punctuated by, by loudness and explosions and action. And, and that's, that's what reality is. <laughs> you know? And dear listeners and readers, ironically, that is also... But how Nicholas became Santa Claus is, and if you're in that part of your life that's sort of in a, a lull or a sedate state, and you're looking for your explosions, and you're looking for your big bangs, and uh, you know you're bringing, you're waiting for someone to bring the thunder, you can uh, check out our Facebook. <laughs> you can check out our Facebook at Troop Books. You can check out our TikTok at uh, Troop Books. You can check out our X at Troop Books and our Instagram at Troop Books. So you'll find the link to uh, the author page at the Ewings Publishing, where you can pick up a hardcover and a soft cover of the book. And if you like it, let us know uh, what you think. And uh, if you have any thoughts about uh, topics, let us know what you think. And perhaps we'll talk with you next time on Conversations with the Authors. Thank you.